0: hi and welcome to the mavericks unlimited podcast i'm your host chris Roy, and this is the place to be to get unstuck unleash your superpowers and create a world that works for all on this podcast we speak to mavericks who inspire us we aim to get the insight and wisdom from their story to give you the clarity courage conviction that you need to make your mark on the world this week i'm speaking with author and creativity expert Catherine hayden Katherine is a passionate advocate for creative strengths and believes that many troubled kids at school, the class clown, the rebel, the misfit, are actually misunderstood. They're actually what the world needs more of due to their ability to think differently. In this fascinating conversation, Katherine suggests that we don't truly understand as a society what creativity is. If we can understand and nurture what she calls deep souls, or what we call mavericks, so much more as possible. What I love about Catherine is her passion and thoughtfulness. She cares deeply for those who have previously been marginalised in early life and reframes them into creative heroes. So, with that, let's get to it. So, hi, Mavericks. It's Chris here, your host on the Mavericks Unlimited podcast, and I'm so pleased today to have uh, a very special guest, Catherine Hayden, with us. Catherine is the uh, the founder of Sparkativity. She is the writer of Creativity for Everybody and a passionate advocate, and really a guru of creativity. So hi, Catherine, how are you today?
1: I'm doing well. It's great to be with you.
0: Great to be with you as well. Um, so Catherine, uh, I, as, as we've discussed before, we've got loads of synergies and loads of things in common. So why don't you just tell our, our listeners just a little bit about who you are and what you're up to in the world?
1: Sure. Well, I, my organization and my practice is called called Sparkativity. And I'm very concerned with individual strengths and helping individuals see their strengths and be able to use them to bring new thinking forward, bring new inventions forward, bring new ideas forward, or even just understand themselves so they can do their best work. And one of my areas of expertise, which is why I'm so interested in what you're doing with Mavericks, is understanding divergent thinkers and how they think and tick and especially looking at divergent thinkers and, and characteristics of divergent thinkers that are typically perhaps associated with a negative version of divergence, but which are actually super incredible strengths.
0: <laughs> I, I I love that. And obviously that speaks highly to me. Um, so let, let, let's talk about some of those divergent thinkers. I mean, you know, As as you've kind of looked into this, and I know you've kind of done quite a lot of research on this kind of thing, um, what kind of things are you seeing are the the strengths of these people and kind of going to help them moving forwards, as it were?
1: Well, one of the things that I'm very interested in is the fact that many of the most brilliantly divergent thinkers that I know or that I've ever met or that are in history or that are current well-known people, had a rub with school, and that 's a bit of the nature of my research because I kind of fuse I, I sort of work in the intersection of school and work, mm. and I came from a background of teaching kids, many divergent thinkers and helping kids, especially who didn 't fit in the mold, um, find themselves find um, ways of learning that excite them and really challenge them and let them dig in and use their strengths. And I'm also, you know, I, I recognize at one point that those kids grow up right. and right. they go to work and the same issues, if they're not understood as a youngster, those same issues follow them into work because we have very similar structures oftentimes um, right. in life, um, in school and work. And so I want to make life better for divergent thinkers, whether in school or in work or in families. And I do that through, um, really through the language and the processes and the science of creativity.
0: Mm, I love that. So in terms of, I mean, as you mentioned, a a rub with school, as it were, I mean, obviously the school system, I imagine in States is kind of not dissimilar to here in the UK. And it kind of promotes a very specific type of learning as it were. Mm-hmm. So, so in terms of, uh, and, and kind of structure and all that kind of thing, what are you, what are you finding is, um, the, the natural way of learning or the natural way of prospering for, for these, um, people that have had a rub with school?
1: I think that that can be summarized probably in two words, um, meaning and freedom.
0: <laughs>
1: and I think, Oftentimes um, when you think about when divergent thinkers, highly creative thinkers, you know, independent thinkers, whatever you want to call them, I like to call them deep souls. I've come across that term, named that term relatively recently, but when they um, run into challenges or when what could be their strengths look to others like irritants, they are not doing engaged in activities that are meaningful to them and they're probably being micromanaged meaning that they don't have enough freedom for their ways of thinking and being and doing
0: Mm, I can I can totally relate I the number of um organizations I've I've kind of worked with as a coach and you know they've hired someone to quote-unquote shake things up and then you know I get brought in because person isn't conforming it's like surprise surprise that's not what you hired the person for um so it's kind of it seems to me that a lot of organizations and maybe schools don't actually know how to harness you know what we would call mavericks as it were
1: exactly and i think the fundamental point with the rub with school is creativity and people who are thinking differently are thinking divergently which is a big part of creative thinking. And the interesting thing is, we as a society, um, if you survey CEOs, if you survey companies, the number one characteristics that they want in employees um, is creativity. Um, teachers, when, when studies have surveyed teachers, they say, yes, I value creativity. But the fact is, I think there's a disconnect between what we think creativity is in general versus what it actually is and how it shows up and I think that is where the problem lies and that's what I'm trying to fix
0: so so let's <laughs> of course let's dive into that then what what are you seeing as what people are seeing creativity as versus what you what you see it as being really what is what's the difference for you
1: well this is a long debated conversation in in the field of creativity also education and psychology and i have my um graduate work is in uh, creativity and innovation so i've studied a lot of the literature right. um behind this and and one of the problems is that creativity there's so many myths about creativity and we if, if you say the word creativity just to a random person on the street, they probably think of arts and crafts or right. you know, sitting down and making a project.
0: Mm, absolutely.
1: But so- creativity, if you really look into it, into the most robust sense of the word, it can be looked at from a number of perspectives. One is as a problem solving process mm-hmm. in which you use divergent new thinking and convergent, which is analytical thinking, as part of that process. So you have to use both. So in actuality, a lot of quote-unquote craft projects or creative projects aren't actually creative at all, if you're right. really going with the, with the meaning of the term.
0: Right, right, right. They actually require quite a lot of kind of detail orientation, I guess, and execution as opposed to the throwing things open and kind of that, as you say, the divergent thinking, as it were.
1: Exactly. And you have to have both in order to have true creative thinking and part of the creative process. And so that's looking at it from from a a process standpoint, but you could also look at creativity from a person standpoint, and you could look at characteristics of creative thinking. And that is something that I look a lot into, especially with divergent thinkers, because if you actually understand the building blocks of creative thinking, what drives creative thinking, you have characteristics like um, risk-taking, originality, humor, independence, um, sensitivity, um, curiosity. Mm. Mm. In many of these things, they're incredible strengths when they are recognized and used and channeled. However, they are, often not recognized as strengths, especially in school. Because again, there's the rub. People don't really understand what creativity is. Teachers say they value it. And this is backed by, by research. The, the point that I'm saying here, teachers say they value creativity. They highly value it. But actually when they see it, they don't like those behaviors that they see as creative. And the same with, with um, in business. It, it's just a similar uh, thinking
0: right 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 and yet i mean i think if we look forward i mean as you said earlier a lot of ceos are saying it's kind of one of the top skills they're looking for one of the top characteristics they're looking for And as we look forward of course you know we know we're heading into a world of work that is there's going to be more automation there's going to be a lot of people not doing those transactional things so that creative problem solving mindset is going to be more needed and yet I think in a certain kind of way, creative thinking is almost in decline, isn't it? So what's, what's the way forward?
1: Well, I think a lot of educating the world on what exactly is creativity and what is creativity in its natural state. And so something that I was so interested because in our book, Creativity for Everybody, there's one page that um, has been hands down the most interesting page for readers. And well, they've liked a lot of pages, but this one is just everybody likes it. And it's, it's a page that we have where we show a chart of the creative strengths on the right-hand side. But on the left-hand side, before you get to those strengths, there are things like disobedience, stubbornness, um, defiance, all these negative traits that we associate with bad behavior. But each one of those corresponds to a a direct creative strength if it's understood and used. So what I'm seeing, what I was seeing, the trend I was seeing in education was that divergent thinking was being um, diagnosed and it was being uh, medicated and it was being um, put on behavior plans without understanding that these characteristics could be incredibly powerful strengths. And in fact, the very strengths and characteristics that life is saying now that we need to develop. So the most highly divergent thinkers who the world needs because of their ability to think differently are getting marginalized at a young age. And when I started to bring that understanding into the work world, I realize that these brilliant divergent thinkers now some of them there are certain things that that allow a divergent thinker to kind of um, survive through that schooling. There are certain things that that are kind of best practices or experience that they have that allow them to kind of go forward and then make a great contribution. But those who are sort of on the edge who are sort of um, you know had this rub with school, they know there maybe is something interesting about them, but yet they were always told that things about them were bad or wrong. Hmm. And even if they have had some measure of success in life, there's still this little nag that says, you know, I didn't really fit in at school or I was always in trouble or I can never get that, you know, reading done quickly. There must be something wrong with me.
0: Right, 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 and that's that's. I mean, certainly, I I know I've seen that, and I'm sure you have. As well. I imagine that a lot of our listeners, as they're listening, will probably be nodding or smiling with this, with kind of the familiar kind of knowing, as it were. So, uh, uh, g- given that these divergent thinkers, we call mavericks, deep souls. Well, I think we're talking about the same kind of group of people. As mm-hmm. you say, when, when you get to that world of work, there is still that that same kind of self-doubt that's been instilled so even though as an adult they might see that the 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 strength of their strengths as it were there's still that kind of hindering of the the kind of self-doubt as it were Mm -hmm. so and i see it a lot with the creatives that i work with there's a lot of self-doubt there so so in terms of starting to turn this around then i mean obviously there's kind of helping organizations to see the value of their their mavericks their deep souls but how do from your point of view what are kind of some of the ways in which these uh deep souls mavericks divergent thinkers can begin to thrive and value their own strengths as it were
1: that's such a good question and that is something that i um i love to to put forward because i think if you break down these creative strengths that i'm talking about and i've done this so there is a free um kind of workbook on this on my website um if people are interested to download it um which is you're probably gonna put it in the show notes absolutely
0: we'll put it in show notes but please go ahead.
1: So um the this it's it's a great thing and it's really fun and and my my colleague Jane Harvey who's an amazing graphic designer kind of designed it in a fun way and it shows all these strengths on um t-shirts and invites uh people to take a look and and figure out what are their creative strengths. And it then goes a little deeper in terms of how how do you use them and so forth. But what I like to do is I like to speak using the terms um, of creative strengths. And I'm working on a book right now to really bring this to the fore, but um, really showing what the creative strengths can look like when they're at their best, but also what they can look like when they're at their worst. So I think a lot of mavericks or deep souls or outlier thinkers are used to being told what not to do or what's wrong with them or what they shouldn't be doing. So it's actually easier for them to um, identify if um, if I say, okay, if you were, you know, always your teachers always thought you were challenging them in school and your boss maybe feels like, you're um, being defiant um, at work when you're when you're given instructions that's something to look at notice that then we're gonna see how that is actually indicative of a high uh, creative thinking potential
0: love that love that so once, once they've kind of got this kind of sense of what their creative strengths are where do they take it from there
1: well, I think there's an intersection. I know there's an intersection, and it's interesting. I'm looking at your. Um, I think it's your logo with these loops. Yep. That's and the one. yeah, and it is how I picture it is very similar. So you have your strengths, you have your interests, you have your values, and there is a place where all of those intersect, kind of like a Venn diagram, and that's your spark. And so if you're able to, first of all, understand your strengths and for yourself, turn them around from maybe other people thinking, you know, that's a problem with you or something irritating, it usually gets more irritating when people don't understand you. So if you understand yourself and you think, oh, wow, this me, you know, cracking jokes all the time in meetings is kind of annoying my coworkers, but humor is so important for creativity then you can start to think, wait a minute, maybe I am annoying my coworkers by doing that in meetings, but maybe I need an additional channel for this humor. Maybe there's a way I could apply it to my actual um, goals at work or somewhere else in my life that I could really dig in and do this. And then it becomes a real positive um, talent rather than something that irritates other people. So I find a lot of times, you know, when we're not understood or when we have these high strengths, if they're, if people don't get us, we kind of, you know, can maybe use them in sort of not as productive ways.
0: Right. Right. We, um, so, so in, in, we, uh, as Mavericks, we use, um, a tool called Scope, which again is based in strengths from positive psychology. And so we talk about strengths going into overdrive. So how, when we lean into them at the wrong time or the wrong place and it maybe has a, a consequence or an outcome we're, we're not expecting. So, as you say, if someone's using humour uh, as a way to express a strength, but it's kind of not necessarily in the right place, that can pop out in the wrong way. But
1: exactly, I love that language. I like strengths going to overdrive. That's great.
0: Well, it's, it's lovely, isn't it? Because it's just—it's one of those things. If you're not saying, "Oh my God, Catherine," that sense of humour is just terror It's like, actually, you know what? Maybe it's just—it's gone into overdrive. Let's just see how we can um, harness that a little more or something like that. It's just different language, right?
1: Exactly. No, I love that. That's really exactly on the, along the lines of what, what I'm talking about.
0: I love that. I absolutely love that. So well, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious, Catherine, because what I find is uh, with people, people who are passionate about this subject, they often uh, are... I, I guess where I'm going is I, I'm imagining that you are probably a, a deep soul or a, a divergent think thinker as well. Would I be right in that correction in that assumption or even?
1: I am a divergent thinker. I definitely identify with creative thinking, though it's interesting because the people who I write to, when I imagine, you know, as a writer, you, you imagine somebody usually, or you're, you're thinking about somebody specific that you're writing to when you're writing an article or a book or, or whatever. And at least that's a best practice that I learned from Todd Henry, who's a wonderful speaker and, and podcaster. But um, I, I picked that up from him rather than having a composite of, of people you're writing to, write to one specific real person that really could use your message. And the people that I'm writing to I had a fine experience because I had um, mentors uh, in school and even though I didn't love school all the time, I did well in it. And I did have mentors that were, um, you know, in and out of my life over the years. But the people who I'm writing to are those who maybe didn't have that. And I meet them. I meet a lot of them, but I also feel like a lot of people who didn't, Find who they were at a young age in school to sort of be successful in the school construct. Actually, retained more of their deeper thinking than I did, because I found that I had to repress a lot of my creative thinking in order to um, succeed in in certain ways. And then when I was done with uh, university, I. Um, sort of worked to bring that all back over time. But I noticed that those who didn't do what I did seem to have retained more of this deep thinking. And that's those are the people to whom I am always writing because I think they maybe didn't experience they may have, some people did, but some didn't experience sort of the success of succeeding in school in a very high level way, but yet they retained what I think is even more important.
0: Sure, sure, sure. absolutely. I think that's really, I find that quite fascinating because obviously there are the kind of the the mavericks you were just talking about and they might have been the ones who, you know, might be classes, I don't know, maybe misfits at school or, you know, those that were kind of not fitting in. But there also seems to be, and I think I just heard it from you, but it's certainly something I've seen as well of those... Divergent thinkers who actually did kind of succeed at school, but they succeeded by kind of repressing rather than rebelling, as it were. And so have kind of come into the workplace, maybe being able to play the game, but maybe kind of coming in with a a sense of maybe imposter syndrome or whatever, because actually that creative side hasn't been nurtured in the same way.
1: Right. And I think that... There could be, you know, I'm making it so black and white and saying there are these one or the others. I think there are lots of shades of of what you might have experienced in school. But I think that, um, you know, I, I myself definitely was doing you know writing notes in the back of the class and and making jokes and um, pulling pranks and things like that. But I always managed to toe the line so that <laughs> I didn't get in trouble. But I think that that others who maybe um, did that more, like um, someone who I interviewed for my recent book, um, this amazing entrepreneur in California, uh, Randy Miller, who runs uh, a company called Nautilus Group. and he his his company is trying to uh, innovate building and he's creating modular type buildings. He's done dorms, um, like green dorms with gardens on top for UC Berkeley. And in order to do this, he has built his own factory. I mean, there are a lot of problems he has to solve. And he says, really, building hasn't been innovated since I want to say he says since they were building pyramids. I think that's his life. There are so many challenges to solve for. Now, he had won the award, I guess, in his high school for having the most truancies ever in the history of the high school. So he skipped class all the time and he would make deals with his teachers that um, so, you know, he would um, learn the information very quickly. When he sat in the lecture, then he wouldn't do any work for a few months and test time would come back, would come around and he'd say, okay, well, um, you know, I, I didn't do any homework. I know for a few months, but if I ace the test and do this, you know, a couple assignments, will you give me an A?
0: (laughs) That's some chutzpah. I love that.
1: (laughs) Well, and here's the thing about Randy, it worked. He said the only time that he didn't get an a was when his negotiations failed but now he's in the real estate business which negotiating is the number one skill
0: that Ah. he needs
1: so here's this kid who is in trouble who was a truant who was skipping class who was a complete rebel that got all a's because of his negotiating skills that then went on to um succeed in life based on those skills so i just find it interesting because he went he wasn't like me kind of you know being a little um you know passing notes in class or making jokes and in hiding he was out front with it he was just who he was and he did it and and he then leveraged that as his strength in life
0: i love that I, i talk about chutzpah that is that is pretty amazing And so I'm kind of really curious because, I mean, obviously, here's someone who is taking on an entrepreneurial route and um, so on and so forth. And I think I was was reading a a statistic the other day that said by 2025, over 50% of people are going to be freelancers or self-employed, as it were.
1: I saw that too. I was very interested in that statistic.
0: It's fascinating, isn't it? Um, so that being the case, I mean, obviously there, there's that context of, you know, the, the deep souls, the mavericks who, um, had Robert score or might be in organizations who kind of maybe don't, don't fit in and the organization doesn't know how to work with them. But then there are all, you know, I would say for a lot of divergent thinkers, that kind of self-employment or running your own business path is probably quite an attractive one. But I also see, see some, some, things being entrepreneurial and some of them being creative and you know some really the entrepreneurial ones and really being able to go for it and having the chutzpah and maybe the creative ones kind of wanting to who are maybe more craft based but don't necessarily have the entrepreneurial side of things going so I'm just kind of curious from your point of view of creative strengths and that kind of whole freelancer thing how can these divergent things really leverage these strengths in in that kind of way, as it were?
1: Well, I think that um, another tool, uh, which is actually a, a toolkit, I guess, if you want to think of it that way, is the creative problem solving process. Um, a lot of people have heard more about design thinking. Um, creative problem solving is very similar to design thinking. It's been something that's been used and studied in business since at least the 40s, the 1940s. And um, the person who really pioneered creative problem solving at work was the same person who invented brainstorming, whose name was Alex Osborne, and he worked for the advertising firm in New York, BBDO. He was the O,
0: Osborne. Oh, okay, okay. That makes sense.
1: And what he realized was, you know, he, he was in this advertising firm, so he was surrounded by all these creatives. And he realized that, huh, some really good ideas get through the teams, and they get born and translated into amazing advertising campaigns, and some ideas get killed. So... What happened? So he started to study human behavior from a problem-solving, creative problem-solving standpoint. And he started to realize there were um, best practices, there were tools that people use, and there was a natural problem-solving process that people went through, kind of like we have the scientific method that is a natural process that we might take to um, investigate scientific questions. So. Mm. The creative problem-solving process is similar, and again, design thinking, very similar. Creative problem-solving has traditionally been more robust from a business standpoint. Um, design thinking has been traditionally for designing products, whereas creative problem-solving is more, um, you know, can be for designing strategy and vision and, and just any, any business um, or personal issue. But this process, I think when we realize that creativity, we don't have to rely on a flash of insight or just our sort of inspiration, that we actually can dive into different parts of the process at any given time and use tools at our disposal. That I have found revolutionary for my own business as an entrepreneur and Um, I think it gives me a lot of self-knowledge. And also, if if you're kind of a create-on-demand professional, so somebody who has to create new writing or new products or new ideas, then you need a process. You need some tools for those times, especially that you're um, not inspired or you're under stress or you're working collaboration with others. So I like to look at the creative problem-solving process as a help and guide.
0: I love love that. So just just from that point of view, Catherine, where can people find out more about uh, about the creative problem solving process? Is that something you've written about?
1: I have written about it a little bit. I'm getting into writing about it more. Um, I think when you look at uh, the Creative Problem Solving Institute, that is nicknamed SIPSI. If people are interested in getting kind of um, an intro course, I will be teaching the creative problem-solving process, at their um, their conference this year, which is in June in New York. It is upstate New York. Awesome. Also, the International Center for Studies and Creativity at Buffalo State College in New York, that is the original. That's Alex Osborne's um, program, and I graduated uh, from that program, and a lot of my colleagues there have written a lot about the process. and. amazing. Um, So you can Google it, and there are are sites there. Also, in my book, Creativity for Everybody, it talks about a little bit about the process, but there's one more level that you're kind of getting to with your questions. And so I'll tell you what that other level is. It's basically how can creativity be supported and creative people be supported within an ecosystem? So whether that's in your family, whether it's in your own business, whether it's just in your own life supporting yourself, making sure that, that things all connect, um, what are those best practices? And there are, there's a model called the four Ps model of creativity. And it talks about the fact that in order to have truly innovative thinking, truly creative products, we need to employ best practices in the processes we use. In our climates or environment, and in how we deal with people, so that's kind of the foundation. And within that lives the create or thrives the creative problem solving process.
0: Right, right, and there and thereby the creatives themselves. As mm-hmm.
1: it were.
0: Exactly. Wonderful, wonderful. So let's uh, if I. I, I like to ground this back with you if i may because i you know again i think um your your story in this is fascinating as well so as as you're kind, kind of going going through your research and your writing and you know your your creative day as it were what kind of um daily routines and practices do you use to kind of help keep you focused and motivated and maybe convergent as it were
1: Well, that is a good question. So here's the thing about me, which is probably familiar to many listeners. I have had a very hard time in my life creating routines, um, creating consistency. That has not been my number one strength. And I shy away from
0: routines, typically. I can't relate to that at all, Catherine.
1: (laughs) (laughs) However, I had a life-changing moment in the last number of years, and I have figured out how to create routines for myself. Can you believe that?
0: Wow. Tell me your secret. I want to know.
1: I do have some secrets. So it all started with reading two very good books. One is called Daily Rituals by Mason Curry. Have you heard of that book?
0: I haven't, I must admit. Oh
1: my gosh, it's so good. And the thing I like about it, it's just... Book of stories of short stories. They're about a page long each of them, maybe a couple pages. Perfect, small book. And if you Google it, it's very interesting to see timelines people have set up. But he has cataloged. I think Mason Curry himself is a writer, and I think he was trying to figure out best routines as he started off writing. And he started researching famous artists, famous writers, famous musicians, composers, philosophers. Um, basically, I think in the late 19th century and throughout the 20th century, maybe a little bit up to the present. And he researched them specifically focusing on their routines Mm. and how they got their work done. And he didn't know what he was going to find when he first started out. And I didn't know what I was going to find. And it was funny when I first bought the book, I thought, am I going to like this? Cause it's about routines and it's called <laughs> rituals and I'm not really a routine ritual kind of person. But what I loved about it was I read about all these famous people, Toni Morrison, Andy Warhol, um, just so many well-known contributors to our culture. And they all had some sort of practices that they followed, but I realized none of them were prescriptive all of them were individual to themselves. And I thought, okay, I could create something for myself that I like. Now, if I'm going to go out and get someone's advice who says, now you have to do this, you have to do this, and you have to do this, that's never going to work for me. But reading all these different routines, I could pick out things that I liked about them and I could say, oh, well, what would work for me? Now I realize that, Everybody's routine is different and is personal to them and some had anti routine routines. So <laughs> through that book I started to get comfortable with the fact that I think it's true and I hate to say this because I know people who were in my stage a few years ago where I never was able to follow a routine I would, you know, stay up all night finishing something and you know go on these sort of, you know, prolific tears of work and then, you know, (laughs) up and down. And, and at that point, if somebody said really to be consistently prolific, you need a routine, I would have balked, And I would have been like, no, I can do this without it. However, I was not able to do it without it because I was finding that my old ways of staying up late were not productive any longer. And I needed something consistent. I tried to schedule time to write. It was really because I was working on this book I'm working on and I wasn't able to find the time to really write in a deep way. And it was like life took over and I didn't have the right spaces of time. So I I had been thinking about this when I read Daily Rituals. Then I read another book, which is called um, Louder Than Words. And it's by Todd Henry, who I mentioned before. And he he has a podcast for Louder Than Words. So if anyone's interested, they can kind of listen to the podcast and see if it's up their alley. But the questions he asked in the book really resonated with me and helped me to, again, cement this idea that, yeah, I, I really do need a routine. And so I, what I came to, and this was unbelievable to me and to anyone who ever knows me, but now I wake up very, very early in the morning and I do my deepest writing in the morning I even wake up on weekends. I, um, I can't believe I'm saying this. I used to be like an all-nighter kind of person. I used to stay up very late um, most of my life. But I'm loving this routine. It's working for me. Um, I make sure to wake up early. I can have um, not quite a full day, but a really good chunk of the day before everything else gets started that I have to do. And I try to get um, take a lot of walks, which is actually something very common among um, that that was written about in daily rituals as well.
0: Love that. Absolutely love that. So, because so, uh, I, I know I'm, I'm a night owl myself, and I know many of the, uh, I'm sure many of the people in daily rituals were as well. Uh, how, what's been your secret of being able to get up early?
1: I think the feeling of accomplishment, the feeling of creation. You know that feeling that you have when you just know you're thinking deeply, you're coming up with new ideas, you're writing something that will help people. Mm. I think that feeling makes me want to do it again. And it's the feeling of flow, I suppose. That's the technical term for it. But, but I find that I am not able to get that time other times in the day now. Now, I'm not saying that's true for everybody. That's just true for what I needed at this time in my experience. But I love it. And I kind of about once a week i try not to wake up early i just feel like you know sleep in kind of refresh a little bit but i actually don't like that as well i really <laughs> like to wake up early and um and even in the dark i do like waking up in the dark i even get more done in the dark so
0: i can i can definitely there is something beautiful about the stillness of that time of the morning isn't there and kind of getting getting a run on the day as it were um so 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 that's kind of what you do to keep yourself focused, as it were. How do you, so when when you find yourself? I think we all reach those places, don't we? When we just get stuck. And I know for a lot of divergent thinkers, that can come for, through any number of ways. Whether it's overwhelm or just block or whatever else. What do you do to get yourself unstuck?
1: Well, it's interesting because the creative problem-solving process comes back again now in our in our conversation because. There is a very interesting preference survey that I um, have administered and I I use a lot in my work with with teams and with individuals. And it helps um, people leverage their strengths and energy in the creative process. It's called Foresight. And I believe their website is F O U R S I G H T online.com. And Foresight breaks the creative problem solving process down into four um stages which is the clarification piece so um the asking questions to figure out what problem are you actually trying to solve or what piece of art do you actually want to do what do you want to work on then there's the ideation process once you've figured out the problem to come up with ideas to solve the problem Mm -hmm. and within that you're then You know, coming up with the ideas and then analyzing what your problem is again and your criteria and figuring out the idea that you are going to move forward with. And the third part of the process is development. And that part is taking your idea and refining it and making it better and better and better. And then the final piece is once you have that idea that's ready to go, implementing it. So there are these four pieces and stages of the process that. Are detailed and everybody has likes and dislikes in terms of of those stages some people like them all some people don't care they're fine you know either one is great <laughs> some people love one stage and they hate all the rest uh, some people love a couple everybody has a different profile in terms of where they fall in their Excitement and enthusiasm about each stage of the process.
0: Sure, sure, that makes yeah. sense.
1: When you when I said those, by the way, did you um, did you think? Oh, yeah, I love that part. Or
0: oh, God, yeah, absolutely. I was like classification, definitely ideation, a little bit of development, implementation. No, that's somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> and how about yourself? Where 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 do you fall within that?
1: So I love them all except the development piece. But the question is, but yet I can produce high level work. So how do I do that? The thing is, we all have to do all of them. So even if we don't like it, we still have to do them in life. So, but the thing is, I was always running into a problem before I knew this about the problem solving process and and my preferences. I was always running into a problem in kind of the editing phase of writing that I do, or that type of phase with any project uh, and needing more inspiration and and foresight says your energy will dip in this stage of the process if you don't like it as well if it's not your preference and my energy dips in the development phase so what i figured out is that once i determined that i realized okay well what do i like about that phase well i love collaborating so now If I find that I'm stuck um, in in this particular phase of the process or any phase, I will call up a colleague or or a friend and say, hey, could you give me some feedback on this? So that's that's a workaround that I've found. Um, Another one is um, making the editing process look like something different. So my writing process is that I write out by hand on paper with pencils, actual pencils that I sharpen, and then like, I I take some time, and then I, I type it up, and as I type it up, I'm editing, and then I'll print it out, and I won't look at it right away, and then I'll come back to it and edit it on paper. So, you know, it kind of goes through this process, but they're all different. But if I just sat at the computer that entire time, I would get tired of it, and I wouldn't be as enthused. So I've just found these ways, you know, when I realize, oh my gosh, my energy is dipping because I'm in the development phase. I can then think of ways around that to make it look more like the phases that I do like mm,
0: mm. i I really like that and what and i the word I, that comes to me there is kind of variety as it were so so what I'm kind of curious there is just in terms of kind of it, it, maybe this is my my personal stereotype, but when I think divergent thinkers, I think you know divergent I think variety. Is that need for variety, as far as you've seen in your research and so on and so forth, is that kind of common to all all kind of creative thinkers? Or is that is that just one amongst many different kind of traits, as it were?
1: I think it's probably true that most divergent thinkers need variety. And I think it would have to do with the fact that new ideas, new thoughts, new questions to ask, new experiences... Give new input to make new connections. So, I think um, as a divergent thinker, um, someone who is a divergent thinker is thinking about new ideas, and their thinking process is not necessarily going from A to B to C, but it's going from A to everything else they've ever learned in their life, you know, to C to everything, you know, other things that they've just learned yesterday to see you know so it's a real um broad and vast process rather than a linear process so i think the more inputs you have um the more opportunity to make new connections
0: sure that that makes perfect sense that makes perfect sense so i just kind of beginning to think about bringing it home as it were i'm just kind of curious around kind of advice and that kind of thing and I'm just wondering you, you you said earlier that you had um been fortunate enough to have some great mentors and a great mentor early on and so I'm just thinking from that point of view of mentors and kind of advice that you've been given what's the best piece of advice that you've been given in terms of uh, your own creativity and um nurturing and harnessing that as it were
1: well you know it's interesting because I think the advice would be non-advice. And I'll explain what I mean. What I mean is that I think from a mentor, the most valuable thing that I've been given is understanding. So, And I think that's the case as I look into the lives of so many divergent thinkers. I believe that since divergent thinkers are different, By nature of their thinking right they're thinking differently so they're not fitting in a box they don't necessarily want to fit in the box but they do want to be understood by themselves and by other people but it doesn't have to be everybody but if they just have even one or two people maybe even in their entire lives that truly understand them that's huge and So I think that what I was given by my mentor was an understanding of my strengths and that I could do. I think um, I was telling you, I don't know if we were recording or or before the recording, but um, I was um, in banking at first and my mentor who had known me my entire life started asking me to write for, for educational publications. And I'd say, well, what what business do I have doing this? Oh, you know it. You know it. You've been experiencing this for, for decades. So you just go for it. And she knew my strength of writing and that I had this knowledge, even though I didn't know it. So I think the best thing that we can do for others um, who are divergent thinkers and that others can do for us and that we can do for ourselves is to truly work to understand ourselves from that lens of through that lens of, uh, strengths and interests and values, and then give ourselves or give others opportunities to use them.
0: Mm. What a wonderful piece of advice. What a wonderful piece of advice. And just in terms of if you could travel back in time, knowing what you know now, what would be the piece of advice that you would give to your 17 year old self? that part that was just kind of coming out of school and maybe going into college or maybe into the world of work as it were
1: I think that I would say that there are many paths and that there isn't just one way I think that at least area where I live um, I was there's so many students who are in high school and are on this path, and, and frankly, when they're in grade school, they're on this path, and and there's one accepted path, and it's the path to the Ivy Leagues, and this is the path you need to travel on, and everything is going toward that end. But the reality of it is that very few people go to the Ivy Leagues, so it's really a false path. <laughs> so I would like for there to be many paths that are acceptable, um, and that are um, applauded by. by by the powers that be, by the people in the community, by parents, by students themselves. So they don't have so much pressure. So they can feel free to be themselves and to use their assets. And um, I think I would tell myself that that creativity that I'm suppressing so hard to be able to take these multiple choice tests is actually going to be my greatest asset that I use in life.
0: Mm, I love that. Absolutely love that. So in terms of using that creativity, I know certainly for me, inspiration plays a huge part as well. I'm just kind of curious, how do you fill your wells of inspiration as it were? How do you, when you may be burning the, you know, burning the, the, the candle at both ends to get a book done or whatever, how do you keep yourself sustained and, and nourished kind of for inspiration?
1: I read a lot. I love to take walks quiet walks um i i live now in new york north of the city where um the the seasons are just exquisite and i have found that my inspiration is higher than where anywhere else um, i've lived and i think just seeing the difference in the season they're so pronounced um, i'm very appreciative. Of the seasons, um, so reading and walking and um, observing and talking to other people. I love to collaborate and to talk with others, and um, also doing the work itself. You know, I get very um, inspired when I'm actually talking with clients, um, giving a talk, um, conducting a workshop. I, I can see this work um, inspiring lives and and changing lives and giving people tools to help them draw out their strengths. And that's extremely inspirational.
0: Absolutely. I hear, I hear a a lady on a mission as it were. Um, So that being the case, last but not least, as it were, and this is something I ask all my guests because it's part of our MO at Mavericks, which is about creating a world that works for all. So if there were no limitations for you, what one thing would you do to change the world and what will change about the world even? And what would be your very first step towards it?
1: I think that I would, I think it's part of what I'm doing, but what I'm doing comes up against a lot of limitations because we have the limitations that we have. But if I could do what I wanted without limitations, everybody in the world would have a profile of their own creative strengths and that is how they would define themselves. So whatever weaknesses they have, you know, whatever issues they have wouldn't be the center focus. It would be their creative strengths and that's how they'd know themselves. And that would be their lever to make contributions and to overcome their challenges.
0: And imagine what the world would be like if that was the case wouldn't that wouldn't be, it be amazing place? wouldn't that be just be a great place I think that's a that's a that's a, a vision of the world I certainly subscribe to as well so I count count me in on that one. I think that'd be amazing um, Catherine, thank you so much for your time today. This has been inspirational insightful. Uh, and just some really great practical wisdom in there as well. So thank you so much for your time and for being with us today.
1: Well, thank you for your great questions. I always love a good question.
0: Great stuff. You've got got to love it to spark that creativity, haven't you? So anyway, there you go. Thank Thank you for listening in Mavericks today. And as ever, we'll see you on the next podcast. And thank you again, Catherine Hayden, for being with us.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: Okay, bye for now. Hey, listen up, don't go yet. Did you get something meaningful out of this episode? Well, the most meaningful thing that you can do right now is to go and leave a review on iTunes because those reviews are what keep us here. And please make sure to share and to subscribe to this podcast. Finally, are you unleashing your superpowers? Well, if so, show us on Instagram with the hashtag Mavericks Unlimited and we'll see you over there. And with that, thanks so much for listening to the Mavericks Unlimited podcast at mavericksunlimited.com. Bye for now.